Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Maxine Fuches is a home health nurse who has lived a life most of us could never imagine. The name of her book is Martha. Now, you've been working on this for a long time. Uh, I guess I started writing when I was about in my 20s, late 20s. I just started writing about the things that had happened to me in my life. And the more I wrote about it, 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 it kind of like gave me a sense of calmness and just helped me to deal with the tragedies that was going on and the struggles that I was going through. And I found relaxation in that. Martha is me. I don't know where that name comes from. It just hit me and then my name, like, that's it. That's the name. What, what happened to you? My mother passed away when I was 15. And um, we were sent down to live with my grandmother in Alabama. And... Um, she was not a good grandmother, and uh, with me being the oldest, she couldn't control me. My other sisters were younger than I, and pretty much were still babies, except the one next to me, her name, and she was 14. So she had to get rid of me, because I was too rebellious against what she were, what she was, what she was doing to us. So she, I had to go. Where did you go? She sold me to a 32-year-old man, and uh, he took me to Mississippi, where he beat on me for a year, beat and raped me for a year. And after my baby was born, she was only three days old when he when I brought her from the hospital, and he walked in and started beating on me then. And so I took the baby. I had I uh, pushed the baby to the side and covered myself over her so he wouldn't get her. Then after he beat me, he went back in the bedroom and went to sleep. He was a drunk. He was a, he was a heavy drinker. And uh, I decided that I, I, when I went in the bathroom to clean up, I, I I looked in the mirror and seen all of these bruises and big lips and everything. And I was like, my baby's not going to, my baby's not going to grow up to see this. This, as far as I was concerned, this man had to die. And I opened up the cabinet, medicine cabinet, and there was a razor blade in there, double-edged razor blade. And he, by the way, he's six seven and weighed 337 pounds. And I straddled him like a horse. And just when I was about to cut his throat, God put his hands on mine. And brought it down, brought and brought the razor blade away from his throat. And I thought at that time, being being 17 and scared and stuff, I thought there was a ghost in the house. Cause when he put the when, when God put his hands on mine, I could feel it, like somebody had put was had holding my hand. And I turned around and see who it was, but I didn't see anyone. So I. He dropped a razor blade on his chest and grabbed my baby and ran out the door. Wow. You were you were just seventeen years old. 
Yes. I went down to his sister's house who has been taking care of me every time he beat me up that year. She would bandage me up, clean me up, send me back home to him. So I ran down to her house with the baby in my arm. She opened up the door. She took one look at me and she says, I can't send you back down there to my brother because you are going to kill him. And that without me saying anything. So she shipped me back to my evil grandmother, caught the bus back. And when I went back there, then of course, she sent for him to come and get me. But I wasn't going back there. And he, he came to get us. And uh, my auntie, I ran to my auntie's house. And when he, he told her, I just wanted to tell her bye. When I came to the door, he knocked me out. She shot her gun up in the air and he ran out and ran down the street. That was the last time I seen him. Oh, my gosh. Then my grandmother, she got upset because I didn't go back with him. She said she was going to take my baby. And I told her she's my grandmother. I can't help that. Do I, I, I'm supposed to love her. I don't. I'm supposed to respect her. I don't. But if she tried to take my baby, I was going to kill her. And so she shipped me off to Chicago. What did you do in Chicago? God sent me some angels. That's in my next book. This is the story for my next book. <laughs> so this book ends with you being shipped off to Chicago, a young woman yeah. with a little baby. Right. And we don't find out what happens until the next book. Right. This is remarkable that you are, you seem like a fairly sane individual. Yeah, God had his hands on me the whole time. How old is your daughter now? Uh, 50, Lisa, how old, how old 52. Oh my goodness. I think she's 52 or 53. I stopped counting. <laughs> you are a survivor. Is your daughter helping you get the word out about your book? Oh yes, she's my right hand. Uh, I've just set up a book sign, trying to get a book signing set up. Okay. With uh, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, they told me to end of February. Great. I guess your faith is very strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You never killed anybody, right? No, never did. Do you know what happened to that man? My, my husband that she sold me to? Yeah. Uh, after seven years, he died. So he died a young man. Yes, he was, he was, he died at, he married me when he was 32, and seven years later, he passed away. You've got an unbelievable story. You really do. I, I would think that your book would be great for, um, you know, a lot of churches have book clubs mm -hmm. because your book is a story of faith. It really is. Okay. What's the message that you're trying to get across to your readers? Uh, that... Even though life, bad things happen to you in your life, mm -hmm. don't let that be the bad thing. Don't let that just be, that, let that be just something that happened to you. But move on. Talk to God and move on and have your faith because he's always have something better for you around the corner. Listen, I'm so glad I got the chance to talk to you today. And um, I hope I talk to you again. I want to see how your story ends. <laughs> okay. All right. You have a great day, Maxine. Oh, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
A mother of six, ages one year to 12, Jay Dill, an English teacher by trade, has accomplished a lifelong dream with the publication of her book entitled Sheltered. Now, first off, when do you find time to write? When I hide from them in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> do you really write um, in the bathroom? Come on, really? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Having less time made me use my time a lot better. So I have I write whenever I can during nap time or sometimes if I just when it's when it's not cold in the summer when I can step out on onto my porch for a few minutes I will it's just any moment I can any moment I can (laughs) have you always been a writer I've always dreamed of being a writer I think um (laughs) I've always loved the the subject of English in high school and so I probably first started writing in 10th or 11th grade and it was a lot of probably what you'd see trending on TikTok with what teenagers watch today a lot of just in my feelings heartbreak kind of poetry you know unrequited love that kind of stuff in high school but um then in college, I, I started learning about more academic writing, and that sparked a little bit more creativity, too. So I started writing some short stories that were a little bit more professionally done because I was applying some of the academic writing that I was learning to my creativity. Okay. And then um, I, I'm actually an English teacher, so I started reading and teaching more and exploring different types of stories, and that kind of inspired my own writing. So I've been writing on a more professional level for probably three or four years. And a lot of the different pieces of my life kind of fit into the puzzle of of my becoming an author. But teaching had everything to do with it because I was surrounded every day by very inspiring stories and very inspiring people and sparked my own creativity. And what sparked this? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think I realized when I was teaching all these stories and reading all these stories that I had one to tell, if if I'm being honest, I, I share some similarities to one of my characters. One of my main characters' name is Sarah, and she's very frustrated with the dating world. So, so I'll be honest, it, it was actually some of my frustrations with the dating world. I, I wasn't finding connection where I wanted to. And a lot of the conversations that I would try to hold with people, friends included, not just not, not just dating, weren't really going to the depth that I wanted them to. And I finally realized that the person I really needed to listen to was myself. And the person I was really hoping to connect with was myself. And this story allowed me to listen to what I wanted to hear. There was something about creating that helped me get in touch with different areas of my mind and to see the big picture and how yeah. old were you when you started getting frustrated mm, probably my late 20s late probably. 20s yeah. right well yeah. that makes sense that makes sense because we spend our teenage years trying to be like everybody else and wondering mm-hmm. what's wrong with us mm-hmm. you know and so late 20s that sounds about right I, I appreciate that you brought up as teenagers, we try to get to know ourselves, but I think we also kind of get to know ourselves in our in our late adulthood. Sometimes when we pursue dreams in our early 20s or we imagine what our life will be and we start discovering in our late 20s, early 30s that that life is, is not what we thought or we didn't quite reach it. And so, you know, some of those frustrations began there, but you also start to discover kind of what you really care about and what really matters to you and what you're really looking for. You may also experience loss. And in my case, I experienced um, 
losing my grandmother. I, I lost my grandmother to dementia. And that was the inspiration for the grandmother in my story is I, I wanted to honor my own, my own grandmother and the struggle that she went through. And so some of the, the inspiration for the characters is just hoping that I can honor the people who I love, who've struggled with particular things, but also that my readers might see a piece of themselves and might see those they love in the story and again feel that connection so lay out the story for me well there's two best friends it's a male female friendship they they kind of become friends at the end of high school and then enter their early 20s and find that as i mentioned before life isn't quite what they thought it would be both of them feel held back from from their dreams one character in particular is a musician and wants to pursue that full-time but He's taking care of his grandmother, who is suffering from dementia. Um, the other main character, Sarah, is frustrated with dating and finding connections and just the depth, kind of depth of relationship that she wants. And so some of their stories are told separately and some are told together. They both go on to face some some pretty serious things and they're disappointed by people who maybe should have supported them, but instead chose the easy way out rather than supporting and they have to kind of figure out how to navigate through these experiences when the people they thought would be there for them were not. Can you give me an example of that? Well, I don't want to spoil the book too much. So, um, but you know, when something serious happens, something related to one human being harming another human being, there's, there's people who maybe saw something happen or know that something happened. And instead of, supporting the story of the victim they support the story of the friend because they don't want the friend to get in trouble or they don't want to get their hands dirty or get too far into it and so part of it is also about supporting people who have been attacked or assaulted by others and and helping them through that process what do we learn in in reading this book i want my reader to know that they always belong somewhere and by that, I mean the social connections that we all crave. They always belong somewhere. There's there's always the people who matter and who will see them. And if we look for those people instead of kind of drifting towards the negative, the people who don't see us, the people who don't support us, we look for those who do, we will find that we belong a lot more strongly than we ever thought we did. And it's never too late to to pursue your dreams. And that was a bigger a bigger lesson for me, even in writing this book, is it's okay if things don't happen in a linear fashion. The most important thing is not giving up and being okay with with progress, the little steps that that we make towards our dreams and and knowing that we will get there and we'll learn a lot along the way. And publishing this book was one of your dreams? Absolutely. So you've made a big leap here. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and discovered, you know, it didn't it didn't end with with publishing this book. As soon as I found out I, I it was going to get published, I was ecstatic. I was full of joy, but I also realized I'm I'm not done telling stories. And so at first I thought, okay, this is going to be the one book. I'll get it out there and I'll be done, but I realized when I when I was finished writing it that I I found significant joy in the writing process and that there are no, more stories that, that need to be told. So this dream kind of branched off into a lot of other dreams. How important is it for you to sell books? Like a lot of books, a couple of books? Well, 
I, I asked that because um, for, for some people, it's the process of writing the book and publishing it that is paramount. Mm. For others, it's I have to sell. I mean, I literally talked to a guy last week who, you know, wants to make millions of dollars on his book. Wow. So it is paramount that this book sell. I think there's something in between, realistically. You're right. I think I fall somewhere in between. I would like to sell enough books that I can do this for a living. So I'd like to sell enough that that I can be a full time writer. That's that's my ultimate goal. But what's most important to me is is the story. You know, I became an educator because I have a very strong passion for helping people. And I, I want this story and the other stories that I write to help people. And so in terms of what I'm doing, I you know, I kind of unplugged from the social media world a little bit so that I could focus on writing. But I'm now that my story's out there, I'm I'm reconnecting. So some of it, some of it is promoting on social media because that's the world we live in. But we're also reaching out to local news outlets in the Minneapolis area. So just local newspapers and book clubs, libraries, starting where we can, um, local radio personalities. You know, putting putting the story in the hands of people who we think could benefit from it and who might share it. And so those steps, those little steps, you know, we're, we're starting with with our community and then seeing where it might go from there. That's exactly what you should be doing. That's exactly what eludes so many people. You know, I've, I've had people say to me, you know, I got to I got to get to New York. I'm like, no, you really don't have to get to New York. You don't you know, you need to get where you are. And, you know, when you talk about news outlets, um, there's probably a great story about you in there, the author, and your journey, and what brought you to this book, and the things that happened in your life. You know, there's an interesting story there that will lead to the book. And then from there, it just kind of grows. Like, you got to just kind of go grassroots, and six kids or not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Send those kids out with books. <laughs> you know, my oldest is great. My 12-year-old is tells everybody we know kind of unexpectedly, my mom wrote a book. Did you know my mom wrote a book? You know, she's she's talking to her teachers in our community, and she's Aww. she's very sweet. She's been talking about it quite a bit. I'm glad that you're overcoming all obstacles mm -hmm. to, to, to make this happen. Of course. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, that says a lot to the people who are listening. Did you have any doubts at all? I had doubts all the time. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up because that that's kind of the message of my story, too, is is knowing that you can always come back to it. You know, there were some days where I, I could only write a sentence. That's all that I could find time to do was a sentence. But that was one more sentence. You know, um, there were some days where maybe it was just a paragraph. And then there were some days where I was lucky and I could sit down for a few hours and get a couple pages done. But um, the beautiful thing is that this story came together over a few years, you know, here and there when I could do it. And each time you sit down to create something, you bring a piece of where you are to the table. And there's something very beautiful in that. So I would love to encourage anybody who's listening to know that just keep going, whatever your progress might be. And you don't know what beautiful piece of yourself you might be bringing to your art in that moment. There is beauty in, in creating as you can, and it might make the story or whatever you're making that much more powerful because of how you pieced it together based on wherever you were at and what you could accomplish at the time. Great. I, I just have to ask you one more question. Why the title, Sheltered? Mm, that's, so when people hear the word sheltered, they, they think of maybe 
overprotected as if somebody is being shielded from reality. And there's there's some symbolism in the title of my story. It's but it's more about the characters sort of being sheltered from themselves. It's about them kind of hiding from hiding from their dreams, hiding from hiding in a place where they think they belong, but it's not the truth of where they belong. So it's kind of about uncovering the truth, uncovering what you're capable of and being brave enough to take a risk, even if you're not sure what might be on the other side of that risk. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate talking with you. You have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Retired from finance, Amy Jo Means found a creative outlet through writing during a particularly difficult time of her life. But as a result, she wrote an inspirational and uplifting children's book entitled Queen Astoria, The Beginning. Uh, My husband passed away unexpectedly in 2022. And I think it was probably around his year anniversary when I just I needed an outlet. I needed to vent. Um, I've always wanted to write children's books. My mother was not a published writer, but she wrote many short stories. So I just started out with first, everybody was going to be animals. And then I didn't like that. So I scrapped that for a couple of months and then I just sat down and just started to let it flow. And it's based on our life and our, our, our children and our bonus children's lives. Your bonus children's lives? Yes, they are. They're kids that we have taken in here and there and we're still very, very close to and they're around me all the time. And I have one biological grandchild, but I have seven bonus grandchildren. And throughout the years, they've they actually majority of them. I have a weekend a month with them. That is wonderful. Oh, it's it's amazing. I, I, I wanted six children before I was 30. And I had one. <laughs> oh. So yeah, now it's just like, well, guess what? Now you have more than six. And it's absolutely amazing. They inspired the book? Yes. Yes. Well, my husband started out with just me and my husband. He's King Edward and I'm Queen Astoria. Okay. Um, and those characters are based off of us. And then everybody throughout the book is based on the the bonus children and the and the grandchildren around me. So what happens in the book? It's it's a fairy tale. It's a children's book. King Edward and Queen Astoria have a kingdom and it's based on taking in our bonus children and them bringing in their families and them having their own families and the and the grandchildren being around they're called saplings in the book. And it it's based off true events and it just it walks through our lives and how our boys were born and then how our bonus children came into our lives and deals with their births and then the passing of my husband and the the saplings have magical powers so it's very much a, a fairy tale not that all things are happy there is a part where i call the darkness comes in but they they get put into their own little compound where whenever they that gets close, it automatically gets sucked into that little compound because I didn't want drama, you know, nothing scary. And I wanted it to be peaceful. And because basically that's how our life was. I just wanted it to be about how the children met their spouses and when their children were born. And one of the main ones is when Haley and Robert 
get engaged where there's a there's a fair that comes into town and he proposes to her at the fair which is what really happened to them when the grandchildren are are born and it, and they're brought in by fairies they're brought in by fairies they the babies are brought in by fairies i like that <laughs> the babies are brought in by fairies on the wind so oh. whenever you get that in the book, there's like whenever you get that little smell or that feeling in the wind, you know a baby's coming. How many babies materialize in all? Eight. I have eight grandchildren. Yeah. And then, like I said, they each have their own special magical powers. Kinley has the ability to speak to spirits and see spirits. One of the other ones has the ability to astral project. Um, the other one has the extreme empathic ability um so things like that uh, what i i strive for is is the family bond and the family unit so it's about the the family unit and when you do have hard times like in the book when my husband does pass away um how the family comes together to to keep me going so you do talk about in a children's book about losing someone that was important to everyone in the book yes yes he's taken away by the pixies now the fairies bring the babies but the pixies take life well they take away the person not really take life but they take away the person how do we reconcile that family the family um bonds together and comes around and and the grandchildren primarily Kinley comes and she says, look, you know, I'm, I can see him. He's here. He's with us all the time and he wants you to be happy and he wants you to keep going. Sweet. I mean, that's a great book for, you know, children who lose a parent. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a very comforting thought. Yeah. Or a grandparent that they're, they're close to. Unfortunately, 2022 is a very rough year for me. I lost my husband unexpectedly. I lost my mother. Um, I lost a cousin that I was very close to. She had just given birth like three days before. Um, oh, and, and then I lost my dad last February, which was, I think, two weeks before my husband's year anniversary. So I had a very rough 2022 and the start of 2023. Um, but it, it was it was very cathartic for me um, to be able to put down on paper and it actually originally I wasn't going to have my husband pass away. Um, but I felt like it's, it's what needed to be done and it, it helped me through the grieving process. Yeah. That, that, that has been said before. Yeah. So many people have told me that yeah. so many people end up writing books because they're working through a really difficult time. Yeah, it's it's very know, cathartic. And it really flowed. It only took me about six months to write this book. Um, wow. but it was when I went through the parts where I was like, oh gosh, I, I'm stuck. Well, I'd put it away for a few weeks and then it would be like, oh, I got another thought and would, it started out as just kind of like, I'm, I'm writing down ideas and, yeah. but then it started to flow. And so I finished that one part and, oh, here we are, we're flowing into another one. Oh, and we're flowing into another one. And it just kept going. And then I went, oh my gosh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. What do I do now? Well, I've started a second book. <laughs> and this is where oh. the dragons are introduced. It's kind of like, not really like how to train your dragon, but it's the dragons come in and they choose their saplings. And then it goes into each of the dragons have 
Hold on one second, please. Jasmine, I've got all of the dogs. Is that your dog? Well, this is Dexter. He hates his sister Jasmine. She's a Rottweiler. And he he hates her. Stop. Okay, stop. You know, I thought it was appropriate that as you're talking about dragons, I start to hear this little growl in the background. And I'm thinking, (laughs) hmm, what's going on there? Yeah, I have dragons (laughs) in my house. Um, The dragons have special powers where, you know, one spits ice and... One can talk, and so they get matched up to a grandchild, and teaching them how to work together, even though they have they all have different special powers. It's how right. how can they work together? This one's still in its beginning stages. Okay, Dexter, will you please stop busting at her? It's, I think you should call one of the dragons Dexter. <laughs> I, oh, you know what? Dexter's definitely. Trying to speak to you, yes. I think. You know what? I didn't think of that. <laughs> they are. Well, actually, the dragons are named after other people within my family. They're just not. Well, named. there you go. Yeah. Um, I was very blessed. Like I said, I wanted six kids before I was 30. I didn't get it. But you know what? I had it before I was 40 years old. And yeah, there you go. Yep. And they're they're still here and they still come to check on me. And I talk to most of them every day. And we're a very close-knit family. And some people don't have that. So maybe in this book, they can find that and at least go into this fantasy world for a little bit and find that peace and find that happiness. Great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. We first learned about Karen Spell McKittrick back in 2017 when she wrote her first book entitled My Dash. Now she's back with a suspense thriller entitled Ditto, a story about the kidnapping of a twin girl from her stroller in New York City. Welcome back, Karen. Tell us a little bit about your first book before we delve into Ditto. Um, I started writing it and... I realized that I had almost been killed like four times. A sniper shooting into my office window to being run over by a car. I mean, I have I have escaped like a cat uh, <laughs> nine lives, <laughs> and I am grateful for every minute that I'm here. I was on Howard Stern for advertising live. I was his first live commercial. I have a whole chapter, chapter six, dedicated to him and my experience with him. How long ago was this? That was in probably 85, something like that. What'd you talk about? I was the the Nutrisystem lady. And people knew my voice because I came from Pittsburgh and I have all these weird accents and expressions. And he liked me. And so I wrote a chapter about him that was complimentary in my death, my memoir. So what made you start writing? Um, My husband had passed away and he he worked at Montefiore as the director of microbiology there. And he was a full professor at Einstein. And he passed away and I had a really hard time because the more you love someone, the harder it seems to be. So my brother called me one day and he said, "Um, Karen, you sound like you're in a little, um, having a little problem. And I said, I'm in a slump. I just can't crawl out of it. And he said, I've been thinking, write a book. Your life is totally different than most people's. And I said, who's going to buy such a book? And he said, 
starting with me and my two sons. Well, that started me writing, and I didn't even know I could write. So I wrote the memoir, and I hand-wrote it because it was very emotional, but it was also um, fun to write and to realize what you did in your life that was so unusual. So um, he he's the one that started me writing. So what inspired your second book, Ditto? I opened a daycare. It had a capacity of 123 children. And I did that for 18 years. Then I had my only child, and she was originally triplets. And I had been on all kinds of medications and stuff to get pregnant, but I was over 40, blah, blah. And I had two miscarriages, and then she was born. Ditto came to my mind a long time ago because I have an interest in twins. My mother had twins, but um, it was back when RH factor was an issue. Previous to that, um, my sister was born and she ended up with cerebral palsy. Mm. And then she had twins. And the first one was a boy. His name was Joseph. And he ended up in a facility for his whole life. Oh. All I can remember about him, and I have a picture, I believe, in the book, is that he couldn't speak. He couldn't do anything. But he had this beautiful smile. And he would just smile at me. And so our, my whole life has been twins. My great-grandmother, I think she had two or three sets of twins. And that kind of ran in, in the family. So it was always in the back of my head. And I always thought, you know, that could have been me. So you've always been fascinated by twins, and that's certainly understandable. But, I mean, we're talking about a baby being abducted from a stroller in New York City. I mean, that's pretty scary stuff. When I write the title and I write the chapters, it's kind of evolves. I didn't know all that was going to happen. It just evolved into that. I kind of outline it in my head, and I know where I want to go, and then I let my hand just write it. So you started out writing the book without thinking, hmm, this is going to be a book about twins, and one of them is going to be abducted in New York City from her stroller. No, I had no, I, I had no clue that would happen. <laughs> the only thing that I knew was the title, and I outlined the chapters, and I paralleled their lives, the, the two girls, and that became just fascinating and so much fun to write because I started with the kidnapping and then I started with the girl that remained and how the family reacted to that kidnapping of their other daughter and how they became estranged from, um, her name was Reagan, from Reagan because she looked exactly like Randy. So uh, Randy was taken by kidnappers, um, desperate teenagers that lived on the wrong side of the tracks in New York. The one girl, her name was Meg, she and Rodney kidnapped this baby because she was raised to be a prostitute by her mother, and she had a miscarriage, and they had to do a hysterectomy on her. So she could never have children forcing her to want a child, okay. and that started the whole thing rolling. 
Do the parents ever find their daughter? Unfortunately, the parents also became um, estranged from each other. So the baby is stolen from the stroller, and the parents right. search for the baby. They never find the baby. Something right. horrible happens to the parents. And so these two children grow up leading separate lives. That's right. And Rodney and Meg, Randy's mother, supposedly, and father, uh, they never married, but he caught her cheating on him, and she was the love of his life. And by this time, Randy and Reagan were both working. He followed her and ended up strangling Meg and because he found her with a man in his their bed. And he held her hand and shot himself. Then the girls, Reagan, the one that was in New York, she took over her father's business, and she picks up the L.A. Times, and she thinks that is her sister being arrested for running a brothel. And then she calls the detective that was involved in her case, became a family member, actually, and they flew out to California. And then we find out if the sisters reunite. Yes. I already started the next book, which is called Ellipsis. It's mainly about the villain character in this book with the other characters that I haven't killed off, where they went, what happened to them. What's your plan now for this book? Well, Barnes & Noble just opened here at the Danbury Mall. I would like to go to see them. I have a list of things, uh, the libraries, of course. Um, my daughter is going on social media, and I'm going to pay her to help me attract more people through that. All right, so you have a plan in place. Yes. And you're going to keep writing. I love writing. I didn't know I did until I did it. And uh, I would encourage anyone that even has, you know, most people say to me, oh, I always wanted to write a book. I'm like, you can write a book. Now, the proceeds that I've gotten so far, I do a scholarship in my husband's name using my death, and I will be using Ditto in the future for um, children that are interested in uh, science. And I've done that now. This is my 12th student. And just because I thought so highly of my husband, and he was such a humble man. That's a beautiful thing, Karen. What a pleasure talking to you again. You too. Thank you so much. Finally, Brent T. Bowden is a wealth management advisor with a special message for health professionals in his book, Physician's Financial Checkup, Financial Advice and Education for Medical Professionals. Uh, well, so I started investing really young uh, at the age of 12 and always enjoyed it, but didn't really see that kind of as a career path until some family situations changed. Uh, my mother-in-law passed away in her 40s and just had a, a lot of family members kind of hit some different things with their financial journey. So I started looking into that and started late 2007, early 08, perfect time before the Great Recession to get into finance. <laughs> um, and basically started working in the industry, loved it, uh, really liked being able to give the education and guidance to people. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a couple of years into that, a lot of my uh, friends and family members were kind of going into the medical field. So nursing, doctors, dentists, and were asking for advice. 
And unfortunately, I saw that there wasn't a lot of people that were focused on that demographic. Uh, and I had a lot of people that I cared about a lot that you know, I worked with. So really started kind of putting some ideas together about how that would look and how do you get more education out to those people that are already busy, but they can do it on their own time. And so obviously a book was one of those ideas. Uh, I also have a podcast with the same title. And so that's kind of a weekly update of, of information as well. And so that's the direction that I started thinking about in 2011-12. At that same time, I got my CFP, which is a certified financial planning designation. And unfortunately, my, my family life took me in a direction that I went into the banking world for a few years, uh, managing some wealth management groups there. And unfortunately, banks don't really like you to do anything outside of the bank. And so I had to put that on hold uh, until basically 2020 made a career change at the end of the year and was able to kind of get back and focus on it. So what do you notice about medical professionals when they're handling their finances? I suspect that they make similar missteps. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, always trying to keep up with their you know, fellow doctors and, and make some of those similar mistakes where they may be spending too much on a, a mortgage for a, a big house that they don't necessarily need. You know, they may be coming out with more student loans than some of those people. And so just by comparison, you know, they don't have the amount of time. You know, they are typically not at the beginning of their career, but get into the ultra high net worth space where just decisions can get it compounded by the, the money that they're dealing with. And so they make a lot, but they spend a lot. And so how do you kind of rein some of those things in and put them on the right path to, to being able to have that financial freedom earlier? What are some of the things that you suggest? Yeah, so obviously understanding your debt and your budget are some of the early things we talk about to a lot of our residents. And then paying yourself first. So making sure that you're saving uh, into multiple buckets, uh, whether that's a, a qualified plan or a retirement plan or a non-qualified plan that you can spend money on outside of that. Just understanding how each one of those investments work, what are the tax implications, and then how do you also protect yourself and your family so that if something unfortunate happens, they're set up in a good position, whether that's from an insurance purposes uh, or an estate plan as well. How do you protect yourself if you're a doctor? Do you create, you know, an LLC or? It depends on your work structure. Um, you know, sometimes having some of those business structures in place are important. Um, also medical malpractice insurance, having disability insurance that actually covers your job and not just kind of a general disability. Um, and then obviously for, for death purposes, life insurance, especially at a young age, makes sense. You may not need it real long, but certainly if you're building a family at the same time, it makes a lot of sense. And so there's, there's different things that you can do along the road of getting to retirement to protect yourself. And those are a lot of things we talk about with clients is just at what stage are you in your life and what protections do you have in place already? You know, this sounds like it would be good for anybody. A lot of the things that we talk about really focus, they, they can work for anybody in almost any situation. Um, the difference is there's some things that we drill down from a physician standpoint that are a little unique for them. Obviously, they've been in school a lot longer than most other professionals. And so often the debt has racked up. They have to squeeze you know their retirement savings years typically into 20 or 25 years rather than somebody who could potentially work 40. And so how do you do some of those things? So a lot of the practices do fit business owners, high net worth clients as well. But the book is really geared toward the medical professional just to kind of meet them where they are coming out of residency, middle of career, and then there's some uh, kind of retirement preparation 
discussion as well. It's interesting. I was talking to, um, I was interviewing a gynecologist and she's no longer delivering babies because the malpractice insurance was outrageous. Yeah. And I thought, uh-huh. okay, these gynecologists are in a group, right? Like, doesn't the group get them? I didn't realize that you, you have to get malpractice insurance for yourself. For yourself. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Especially depending on, you know, your situation and where you're delivering. And uh, sometimes the hospital will have some coverage, but you may need additional excess over top of that. And, you know, one of the things we talk about uh, in the book too, is just your contract negotiations. You know, obviously it's very different for a physician's negotiation than it would be uh, a standard W-2 employee. Right. You know, they don't have a lot of choice in it, but when you have the, the choice that a medical professional does now to really go anywhere, then that contract negotiation becomes paramount. Interesting. Now you, you have a podcast. Yes. And how is that going for you? It's great. Uh, episode 33 is coming out. So I've been doing it since uh, middle of July last year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a way to kind of give some updates that you can't really put in a book because obviously tax law changes, you know, some of the estate planning techniques change. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things are a little easier to talk through on a podcast. It's also easier to give some examples. And so we do some of those. We have some guests on from time to time that talk about specific aspects of the financial picture. I get questions about podcasts um, and pairing books with podcasts. I'm assuming that you're able to promote your book on your podcast. Correct. Yes. And is that working out for you? It has. Yeah. I've had several new clients from it and uh, a lot of people reach out just kind of asking questions about specific topics that we can go deeper on. How are you promoting your podcast? A a lot of it's personal promotion. Um, You know, I also video it so that I can put it on YouTube. So it gets out that way. And then I have a, an email list of newsletter that kind of goes out periodically. A lot of the physicians that I, I touch base with wind up on there. You've developed a list, an, an email yes. list. Yeah. I think people don't realize too that, you know, for somebody like yourself, you're, you're very specific. Yes. And makes it a little bit easier, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. My wealth management practice actually is probably about 60% medical, uh, probably 30% business owners, and then uh, kind of the, the rest, W-2 standard you know, retiree employees, but it is nice because it's been a focus of mine for a, a long time. And so you hear some of the similar problems from, you know, different sectors in, in the medical world too. So whether it's nurses, dentists, doctors, uh, and then even drilling down into specialties, right? Uh, a lot of them have similar issues. So, you know, being able to, to understand those and kind of ask the questions that make the most sense, kind of like right. your OB example. Right. Excellent. This was great. You're going to keep writing. Is there going to be a follow-up? I'm thinking about it. So back at the same time, I, there's two books that I had my eye on. One was on uh, family legacy planning uh, and wealth management, as well as the physician niche. And so both of those are things I'm passionate about. So there may be another one. Uh, it's probably a, a few years out. You know, there's a lot of people out there who want to manage your wealth. Yes. How do you know which who to go with? A lot of it is it does take some research. You know, obviously, personality is a big part of it. You need to know who you're working with know who you trust and understand what their background is. You know, uh, I've, I've probably got alphabet soup behind my name, but a lot of those courses and designations have helped kind of shape the thoughts and process that go around it. And so certainly, you know, asking your friends who do they work with, but also finding somebody that fits exactly what you're looking for in that niche is helpful. Great. Well, I sure enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.
We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.